0: Welcome to Boundless Pursuit, a weekly podcast providing motivation, entertainment, and education to anglers and outdoorsmen. I hope that the stories you'll find here will encourage you to chase your passion more fervently, to open your mind to new opportunities and perspectives. Your engagement and feedback is critical to the growth of this show, and I would love to hear your suggestions on topics or potential guests. You can reach me at BoundlessPursuitFishing at gmail.com or at my website, www.Boundless-Pursuit.com. That's where you'll find all related articles, media, and merchandise. Please remember, the show will gain traction from your support. Be sure to like, comment, and share this podcast to your friends and connections. I'm your host, David Graham. Now let's get on to today's episode. Got a special guest today, and a guy that I've known for a very long time, and he's got a very important message with regards to preserving our native species here in the U.S. Drew Geving is one of the founders of RoughFish.com, a long-standing hub for multi-species anglers and a site that I have been affiliated with for over 20 years. RoughFish.com and what it's branched out and evolved into has been one of the top sources of information and media for non-traditional game fish. And what started as a core group of anglers with a shared interest in the pursuit of lesser known or desired species of fish has really turned into a group of diehard stewards of conservation. And Drew and his friends are now fighting the good fight through their nonprofit Native Fish for Tomorrow, where guys like Geving and Tyler Winter are taking action with the no junk fish bill, seeking pretty common sense protections and regulations for our native species that have historically been considered rough fish or trash fish. And what is a rough fish? I'm talking about fish like gar, suckers like red horse and buffalo, freshwater drum, and of course, my beloved bowfin. And there are many, many more that could probably be lumped into that category. And we talk about the sporting qualities and characteristics of a lot of these fish that are growing in popularity. in the rough fish community and the promotion of those other species is very near and dear to my heart. And Drew Geving has been one of the most recognized faces and names in that community and in that scene for the last two decades. So it was just awesome to get him to come on here to speak on behalf of Rough Fish and Rough Fish anglers everywhere. This is Drew Geving of roughfish.com, the Rough Fish Facebook group, and nativefishfortomorrow.org. So we've been talking since I was a little kid, but anyway, let's dive into it. So Drew, finally after all these years, we're actually having a conversation. We've been like talking to each other since I, I think I was 14, 15 years old when I first stumbled across the old roughish.com website, which I'm happy to say is still around. It's like, uh, I don't know, this day and age, those kind of forum, those forum designed websites are, store- are, are becoming like relics of the past. But it's... Uh, it's good to finally talk to you almost almost a double a lifetime later.
1: <laughs> right? It's amazing. This is the first time I've, I've actually spoken words to you. But having known you for, what, 20 years or something in the internet community, it's, it's, it's wild, man. So just thanks for inviting me, man.
0: Yeah, for sure. Well, I knew when I started this podcast thing, I wanted to kind of go that, you know, obviously the rough fish route to a point, multi-species, different fish, some variety. Um, but I mean, the all like my origins as an angler, or at least I don't, I don't know, my trajectory or my path down multi species fishing was like has deep roots in your website, like you and your brother, y'all's website, roughfish.com. And I think I speak for a lot of people. Like, I don't know, man, it like, it like was pivotal, to, pivotal to setting me on my path to. I don't know, fishing for different fish. So I knew when I had kind of like brainstormed this concept or this idea of doing the podcast, I was like, man, I got to get Corey or Andy or both or some of the rough fish guys on here and finally have the real conversation because I don't know. I feel ashamed that in 20 some odd years, I've never done any of the meetups. (laughs) I never went out of my way to like come up there and I've fished with a couple of, the rough fish guys over the years, but uh, never in, never any of the, the big meetups. But, yeah, man, it's okay. crazy. 20-some-odd 20, 20 years later.
1: Yeah, right? It's amazing. I do. I would love to come visit you in your current state down there in Florida, though, man. I got some business to attend to down there, for sure, when it comes to fishing.
0: Oh, yeah. Well, it's, <laughs> it's obviously... I mean, I know you've come down here a few times. I don't know if you've been down here since I moved down here.
1: It's been a while. Five, no.
0: five years ago, but... Whenever you make the trip back, it's obviously a wonderland, and, and I'm only getting a little bit better and better and better at how to fish this place. Excuse me. But, um, yeah, man, so I, I want to kind of dive into the rough fish thing because that's a term that I'd never even heard until I saw your website. For me, <laughs> it was being, you know, hearing the term trash fish. It's trash fish. You've got game fish and you have trash fish. And there's no in-between. And, you know, obviously this all occurred kind of when, I don't know, there was no social media. You had yeah. some websites. Websites devoted to other fish were, like, so few and far between. But I was real heavy in, like, the bowfin and the gar thing at the time when I first found your website. Um, and and I was just happy to see that, like, I, I'd sort of... I don't know, man. I, I was like sort of on my own path as like a young teenager, realizing I was more interested in having some variety than only chasing those same old fish. I was more interested in, I don't know, those other fish. So when I came across y'all's website and saw like minded people, uh, that was like the best thing for me. So the community was strong. The informi- information resources is pretty much all you could find. And actually to this day, it really seems like roughfish.com probably has some of the best if not the best like species identification pages you can find anywhere on the internet but um i don't know i guess i was i'm curious now today like what was y'all's motivation and even making the website to begin with like where did that start
1: wow where to start uh first thank you for all those kind words and you know folks have often kind of said the same sentiment where they they stumbled across the website back in the day when formative angling years where they were trying to figure out, Oh, what's this fish, you know, and and they they Google it and we came up and they find there's a cool community there. And like you said, there was only a few sites around at that time. I'm sure you remember the, the, the Gar Angler Sporting Society Uh website, back that had a forum and all that, you know, at the same time as roughfish.com back then creating communities. Um, and it, it honestly started out with just Corey, my brother, Corey, and I were, were always multi-species anglers and just kind of exploring the unknown in our home waters, you know, and and just the lack of information about that was 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 really kind of disappointing to us, you know, and, and so it started out as, hey, let's show off to all of our, you know, kind of buddies. It was almost like back, like you said, back then, there wasn't social media or anything like that or hell, smartphones, you know, so it was just mm-hmm. a way... You could dial in on AOL and go check out, you know, the catches yeah. <laughs> from people that joined community, you know, and and it, it quickly became a way because it, it grew, you know, and we got exposure kind of nationally and it, it, it just sort of evolved into, this is a place where we talk about how cool these other fish are, you know, and sure, it, it includes game fish. We don't discriminate, you know, especially, you know, way back in the day. It was have fun catching whatever you can. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's fun if you can get out and explore your home waters and learn more about the, the fish that live there, you know? And then it quickly became, we, outside of our community, there's almost like a uh, disdain for these fish that you see when you're out on these rivers, you know, I'm, we've all seen it, right? And it's sort of, a, oh, that's a carp, right? What are you catching more of those carp? or And, and there's just an education factor that needed to come into play too. So mm-hmm. it, it sort of became important to us to and again this is the pretty long archaic internet that was you know 25 years ago or whatever so i mean we we quickly after choosing the name roughfish.com sort of out of a hat we didn't know what we wanted to have as a website but that was yeah. sort of a a catchy word sounded kind of cool and people kind of mm-hmm. knew at least up here in the midwest what what that means what what kind of group that fish means and and you know we we started just like focusing on having good species accounts over time and, and the Google algorithms and things kind of like that, you know, so our images started pulling up towards the top of results and a lot of them still are today, which is yeah. uh, amazing. <laughs> and a testament, a testament to the, the, the guts behind the website that we built. But, um, you know, it's, it, I guess to answer your original question, you know, the impetus of why we started roughfish.com, it was really to celebrate these fish that we felt weren't getting enough respect or mm-hmm. you know, people weren't, Challenging themselves to think outside of the five or six game fish, you know, and and we see, um, you know, it, it's a chance for people that don't have a lot of, I wouldn't say a lot of means, but you know, you don't need a big fancy boat to go, you know, chase suckers or drum or, or around here or right, you know, you can you can get by with a canoe back in the swamp and go catch some gar and both, and you know, and it, it's that kind of adventure that you know any anybody can learn how to go catch walleyes or trout or bass right there's a thousand books written about it yeah um the goal to inform people uh, about these other fish has has been pretty fun
0: yeah i totally agree I, i've always kind of felt that way when it comes to like rough fish or other fish it's part of what i like about it is that there's not as much information out there and it's like if you want to get good at it you have to take more of a like grassroots or like boots on the ground type of approach and like learn it on your own because there's not a lot of information out there. But what immediately like that I recognize is like the little fringe groups of people that do do it are much more welcoming, much more of like an open book, much more willing to like invite new people in. I'm like, this is like the kind of culture and environment that I want to be a part of. And it's like, you don't necessarily, I mean, you can get a little bit of that too. And like, I don't know the sport fishing groups, but you mm-hmm. also run into a lot more of like people that are approaching fishing for more of like a competitive standpoint, which I, and I enjoy a good competition. Y'all have the species yeah. competition, but it's more like of a friendly thing. Yeah, um, but I don't know if I, I encountered a little bit more negativity when it comes to, I don't know, more popular fish that like everybody's trying to pounce on this one resource. So there's more of a reason to like <laughs> try to fight <laughs> people back. Um, but it's also, like, the other side of that, too, is I I always felt like when I was enjoying Bofin or Gar or or uh, some suckers, I don't have as much experience with, with that, but I do have some, mm-hmm. but you always felt like you had, like, a cause, because I was very impacted from the time I was a young kid, when I was more in, like, the Bofin gar thing, like, that was, like, my heavy, it, to this day, it's still yeah. my thing, but when I saw people smashing them over the head killing them over total myths. I was like, this isn't right. Like, this is wrong. Like, somebody's got to, like, say something. This is totally unacceptable. And mm-hmm. so it's like, you know, you almost feel like with that kind of fishing, you have, like, a cause. Or, like, you have this, like, responsibility as as a sportsman to, like, right the wrong. Yeah. So, so I don't know. I, I feel like roughfish.com has been crucial in that i don't know y'all have gotten a lot of good exposure i know field and stream has passed through like all these outlets but um but yeah i share the same sentiment i think it's our responsibility as stewards of the outdoors especially when you start talking about our native fish and you know you can there's a there's an argument to be had with some of the non-natives as as well but it's uh um it's like th- these are, there's a lot of fish that are in that rough fish group. And I want to kind of get into, I don't know, defining what those might be um, sure. in a little bit that, that like desperately need a voice or like a champion or somebody getting out ahead of the false information that's resulting on them getting thrown on the bank, cold and killed, um, things mm-hmm. like that. But I, I know rough fish has been big, but roughfish.com, I guess, as a, as a website or almost as like a brand, as like a name at this point has sort of like survived this interesting period transitioning out of like old internet into the new. Yeah. And I know that you've had to like keep the things afloat. So I don't know, man, I guess, I guess in the last 20, 25 years, you know, what changes have you kind of seen in the landscape of, I don't know, the information side of sharing side of things and just like the perception yeah. of some of these fish
1: uh great question and you know we kind of alluded to it earlier that you know roughish.com original was it's very archaic technology when, when you look back that far you know and it was all coded by my brother Corey and
0: mm-hmm. living
1: on a server in his basement you know it was every time you logged in david you were hitting his server that was sitting next to the ottoman you know and it it it, it, it was the thing we had then and and as social media kind of evolved uh, more and more people, it, just the ease of, of of sharing your cool stuff, right? Your catches and everything, it's just so much easier to do it on a social media platform when you have, you know, all the all the the entire user interface and the everything that you have is geared towards sharing stuff. Not necessarily, you know, it, it's just more difficult to 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 operate on a website. But and then it 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 became more about smartphones and and the ease of a couple of clicks you had instagram you got facebook you know and so it, it's no fault of anyone that you know websites like roughfish.com fell behind and not falling behind in a way of like um content but you know the forum activities and things like yeah. that and, and and the sharing kind of the past especially the past decade for sure but you know thankfully we have our species accounts and pages the main focus i mean we, we've thought about just mixing the forum all together because sometimes you get a bunch of okay there's Robot spam hitting us. Yeah, I
0: have seen it a few times. Pornography
1: or something. And, you know, this is down. And people, folks are getting in arguments about some crap. Uh, you know, it, it can be a, a headache at times. And we've thought about shutting the forum down. And then, this, what is the site? It's, it's really a, a wealth of information about all of our, our species, you know? Mm-hmm. And it, at the heart of it, that's what it's about. And it's about sharing uh, your experiences with those fish. Everything can be con- considered an, uh, an adventure. You you may, you know, you may go to Spain to, to chase barbel or something, or you might go catch some bullheads in your in your backyard pond, you know, depending on your mindset at the time, that yep. can be the biggest adventure you need at that time, you know, and it's important. Um so the the evolution of technology and fishing has been, you know, it it's it causes a lot of drama nowadays. It can. Um with with certain communities because there's there's oversharing, right? And there's I don't want you to yeah. steal my spot and and there's there's spot stealing and all of these things happening and and people not, you know, believing others. And there's all kinds of drama. But you having a solid community of people, you, you avoid all of that. And and you kind of alluded to that point with with the Ruffish community, which is not just the website, not just the Facebook group, but kind of this community that's evolved since Roughfish.com became a mm-hmm. thing we do share a lot and we do want to help each other out and we do want to, you know, have a good time. I don't care if I catch this fish, if I'm sitting next to you, I'm really happy and stoked that you caught it, you know, and, and, and we can, um, you know, we can share that stuff. What was your second part of the question about the evolution of something?
0: I think, uh, you know, it's, it's one of those topics I wanted to see what you felt about it was more so like, I feel like back in those early stages, I, it's it's hard for me to tell if it's so much that it was rare to find people that were interested in that kind of fishing or that like, mm-hmm. you know, those kind of people existed, but you just couldn't find them where, you know, mm-hmm. obviously now you can find everybody. It's much easier to, you know, you can, these people are all exposed by social media, but um, I, I tend to believe that there, there is a positive shift in the perception of a lot of these fish that has happened over the last two decades. Um, but. I was curious because you've really been you've really been in the trenches watching this evolve over time, but you know, curious what you've observed over time with the way people feel about some of these fish. And now and again, people are like, what are you talking about? When I'm talking about rough fish, we're talking suck mm-hmm. sure. n- non-game species.
1: Right. Yeah, I would define it as, you know, non-game species, but they're large enough to angle for with traditional kind of tactics. So right. generally fish that can attain a pound or more. So I'm not talking about rough fish. You know, darters aren't rough fish, in my opinion. I mean, some people might make that distinction, but really we talk about and advocate for fish that are maybe, you know, the average angler runs into them all the time and they're pretty large and they may be represented or not within fishing regulations, but they should be represented more. Um, and, and in general, you know, that means your gars, your, your buffalos, all of the suckers, mm-hmm. red horses and suckers and hog suckers. And then, you know, there's, there's something that's like, well, is that a rough fish or not? When you think about like white bass that, you know, it, it's, yeah. it's like one of those fringe, <laughs> fringe ones. They're pretty popular now. Certain fish used to be rough fish and now they're, they're, they're kind of not. And, you know, it, it's just all about like, for example, burbot, in a lot of areas are are considered game fish now, and we're we're seeing that with gar in places. So it's like used to be a rough fish. Now it's it's not. It's it's like a sport fish or a game fish. Yeah. Um. But you know, certainly, uh, it, it's it's a lot of fish that you'll find in in remote, out of the way areas or in urban areas. There's really no kind of geographical area that you can limit rough fish to. They're found everywhere, and that's one of the beauties, uh, beautiful things about them. Um, but you know the the evolution of the perception of the public of these fish uh, uh it, it's it's changed so much in the time that that I've been part of rough fish and it's just amazing and the circle was small at first and, and, it, and it started growing and everyone you know spread the word another thing you mentioned was being stewards you know and it seems like the rough fish community you just hear all the time well oh, i was talking to a kid on the bank, you know, and told them, yeah, hey, you shouldn't throw that, you know, fish in there and, and, or just teaching about like the sucker runs or whatever they happen to be doing people on the, the bank side that they're advocating for these fish for. And, and that's really cool to see you know, that, that that's a big voice for our, our kind of message about these fish, but, you know, we can talk about that circle and we can talk about the size of that circle and compared to the broader, you know, angling community overall, nationwide I mean it's still very small and it's hard to get right. the message to a lot of people that have preconceptions about what these fish are and, and really you know um kind of change their attitude about them and and unfortunately you know uh the angling regulations um in general don't reflect any kind of respect for these fish so mm-hmm. changing that because there are a lot of anglers you, you read through the regulations right and if they tell you in there that that they lump all of these fish as undesirables with no limit on them uh, because of a lot that's been on the books since 1947, you know, yeah, yeah. that <laughs> these just don't have value. Why would I care about this fish? Obviously they're overpopulated and have no use or any value to us. So we can just kill them indiscriminately. And, and really now within the past, boy, I mean, at least the past five years, we've seen movement towards state agencies and DNRs, um, you know, sh- listening to some citizens that have concerns about the unlimited harvest of these fish, especially when the harvest is, is being wasted. So uh, there's one thing to harvest fish and use it and, 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 you know, smoke up a pile of, right. Yeah. Sure. That's great. But it's not a thing to throw that beautiful pile of native fish into a ditch. And, and that's where it comes, becomes an ethical problem. Like you said, an ethical sportsman says, that's not right. You know, and for uh, different DNR agencies to start listening to the majority, I believe, of people that feel this way, uh, is going to be the next step, the next evolution of getting more respect for these fish in general. Um, and it, it's it's just really it, it's cool to see nowadays. There's everything from like the DNR agencies. I know a lot of really young folks now that are like super gung ho on on rough fish and and the whole uh, you know whether it be multi species fishing, micro fishing too. Um, and and just appreciating the variety of native fish that we have. Some of them are going into the fishery sciences, and it's it's exciting to see them there making a, a difference too. You know, because they're excited. They're they're you know they already have a knowledge of what what they have seen in their in their fishing angling times and how they can make an impact within the agency. So it's kind of cool to see that. Um, and. Just the, I I, I can't uh, talk about the evolution of, of the respect for these fish without talking about lifeless fishing as well. Mm-hmm. Um, that's definitely something that my brother Corey and I believe we coined. And it was a thing back in the day where we just started keeping track of our own fish, right? Like, hey, this is fun. And it kind of grew. I mean, there was a time where I was, there was a while where I had the most species of everyone on the website. I, I think that lasted about six months. And now yeah. I'm, people have 10 times a month that I do. uh <laughs> But, you know, that really made people think more about, huh, if I just, you know, researching these fish online and figuring out how to use these resources that are available to them, like Fish Map and and things like that, and saying, all right, cool, it's Saturday. I can drive to, you know, Granite Falls and go try to catch a gold eye today and and add it to my list and take a picture, you know, And, and that really extended to... People started traveling more uh, out of state and learning things and buying fish books from different states. You know, I'm going to go to Illinois because I want a shot at, you know, a striper or something. Or, you know, I've always dreamed of catching an alligator gar. So I, I, through the community that we have, you know kind of where to go, right? Certainly you need to figure it out on your own once you get there, but um, you know where to go. So life listing and and, and that sort of evolved into microfishing, I I believe. I, I don't know that microfishing would be a thing. In America, if it wasn't for life listing, because it's really, about, yeah. it's not. You know, and I, I'm not shaming microfishers at all, saying this, but it's definitely not about the the, the battle. It's it's about finding the location and scoring that species, really. Right, right. And it's fun. It's fun to a ton of people, and I, and I applaud them for it. um But it's just an actual extension of of kind of our life list system that we built many years ago, and it's still running today. It's a big giant database that you can, you know, yeah, get all your fish. So.
0: No, I, wow. I, I totally agree with that lifeless thing. I started with keeping track of it, but I'm I'm the same way with you. I'm no not even a blip on that radar. Um I I think that, that species hunting side of roughfish.com or just that I don't know the community of guys that have those massive numbers, that is that is impressive. Because that's like it's sort of like a I don't know, it's a quest over you can you can never catch all the fish. But when you talk about people who use like the term, like the complete angler, or like you want to become more of a complete angler to me, it's like, Mm. there's a direct correlation with, and I get, if, if you're talking about styles, like I can fly fish, I can use conventional gear. I can use spinning gear. I can use this and that. Um, but I think people's like species count is like, That's interesting to me because there's so many different tactics you have to use to tackle all these different types of fish. Like your brain has to be so in tuned with the environment to understand like the different approach that, you know, something as dramatic as an alligator gar compared to something as, you know, maybe tiny as, I don't know, the rarest, I don't know my micro species. I just, I simply don't, but I, uh, it's, it's never really been my thing, but I can totally see where those guys can get lost and become crazy in the pursuit mm-hmm. of growing that list. But, um, man, th- some of those guys that have those wild, wild species lists, uh, I think it's impressive as hell. I think it's as impressive or more than folks who have just a handful of gigantically massive fish. So it's like, you know, pick what's more important to you, but. Totally agree.
1: Goals. People have different oh. goals. You know, it's it's uh, it's certainly uh interesting to see how p- different people's paths kind of form in their in their angling. You know. Yeah.
0: Cool. Well, it's easy, and I want to get into this side of things, and we and you started to uh, allude to it. Um, the efforts, the conservation efforts. Now that is something I've really enjoyed watching. I hate saying that I'm watching it from the sideline. You know, you, you try to promote the fish the way that you know how to do, but um, it it's mm-hmm. fishing's especially in today's day and age, fishing's become one of these things where it's like self-fulfilling. Like, how can I help myself to these fish? How can I, I don't know, build myself up on the backs of these fish um, and not so much, I don't know, getting involved with a cause. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when I was first jumping into rough fish groups, it's kind of like, you know, you're jumping into the club, like you're you're behind the walls this is, this is where I can go to not hear people talk about my, that these are trash fish. This is a space where I can talk to like-minded people. Mm-hmm. But now today, seeing especially a lot of the familiar faces that I've watched for the last decade or two, you know, coming from the other side of that wall or leaving those spaces to go out there and champion these fish, that is awesome. And I think that, you know, you have really taken this baton and carried it. So far, and now I know you've um, established this uh, uh, nativefishfortomorrow.org. Mm-hmm. And I really want to know more about that because I think that, that while it still sort of echoes from the roughfish.com thing, it's more of an a, a conservation effort that there's a much more structured approach behind that organization to affect change that transcends beyond just writing an article, making a post, uh talking about how fun the fish are. It's, it's I know that y'all have actually got like I don't know uh legislative type work going on, but tell me about some of that because that's that's become a real fun thing to watch y'all doing. I feel like Minnesota, where you're from, has kind of like led the charge on like I don't know across the country for how to push for these fish but tell me a little bit about that, that you've started.
1: Sure. Um, yeah. Native fish for tomorrow is a nonprofit that we formed March of 2022. Um, you know, it was essentially, there's been a group of us really hardcore rough fish guys for a long time um, who decided it was time to get a little more serious and take some action on this. And it was, it was a mixture of things that kind of led up to that. Um, there was some, Controversial things happening with, you know, uh, live scope and stuff. And, and some, you know, there was a, a video at the time that had come out. I don't know if you recall that, but some guy had, you know, drilled a hole in the ice, found some wintering short nosed gar, and basically dropped a spear on 100 of them or something. Mm,
0: I and, think I saw that. Yeah.
1: And, and, and then, you know, proceeded to wantonly waste them. And it, it really went viral because of our, you know, a lot because of our community and, 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 and that. And, the reach was far enough to reach the dnr and and knowing that okay again these are things that may be legal but they're not ethical right and like we talked about the the general sportsman who is a steward of the outdoors in general not just fishing would say you know there's something wrong there especially when it's aided by technology like that so that was a little bit of an impetus to to get the ball rolling on on guard regulations up here um and at the same time people are saying well okay well, And we were saying it it also, why just gar, you know, why why not more fish, why don't, there's all this research on buffaloes now happening with various aging, um, you know, types and and new things we're learning about population dynamics for all these different fish and why shouldn't they be protected too? not protected as in we can't target them but hey we shouldn't kill them all indiscriminately, um, Mm -hmm. because right now you can. So, you know, we formed our group to take a little more action and had, you know, some initial conversations with our Department of Natural Resources, who we all kind of had certain ties to, you know, in, in passing. And it, it it's a favorable time to uh, take a look at some regulation change here in Minnesota. So, you know, there's other partners out there. And it's not just anglers, you know. The, these fish are important to, I mean, eagles need to eat gizzard shad and red horse and you know you you have native mussels that rely on these fish to be their hosts. and And there's just all of these different every time you peel off a layer of the onion, there's more importance to these native fish and how they add to the ecosystem, you know whether it's through nit- nutrient transfer on their spawning runs or whether it's from you know just the fact that they provide forage for predator fish. So when you think about all the arguments there are for the benefits of native fish in 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 the ecosystem, we have groups like the Isaac Walton League. And you know, friends of the Mississippi River and, and others that may not be anglers, but they they realize the importance of these fish, and so once you start to network with people like that, it just makes your case stronger. And and, yeah. and the folks, the folks that are writing these regulations and and realizing themselves that they haven't been updated for seventy five years, understand it's you know it's probably time to make some change here. So we have some you know we've we've backed some legislation. Uh, you mentioned the no junk fish bill. Which is pretty exciting. And really the goal of that bill is to remove the term rough fish from all of our fishing regulations. And and right now all of our fish are, you know, that aren't game fish. They're lumped into this rough fish category. And and we're looking for at least, hey, at least families of fishes being called out and and say, yeah, maybe the limit, you know, it's not unlimited anymore. Maybe it's 20, but you know, that's probably enough for a day for your family, you know. And 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 uh the DNR is taking these under advisement. And now we have a what's called a native fish work group within the Minnesota DNR. And there's representatives there. It's brand new. The first session is actually coming up this next week. Um, but there's representatives there from the pole fishing community and the commercial fishing uh, you know, community, which obviously those are two uh communities of of people that one, it's their livelihood, it's on the line yeah. here. And you know, we need to account for that. There's very large buffalo harvest and, and catfish and things up here. And number two, the bullfishers, that's you know part of their tradition. And we need to respect that as well. Um, you know, but having all of these different sort of they all advocate for it in a different way, but how do we come to common ground? It's really gonna be mm-hmm. interesting how this all shakes out in Minnesota. Um, so we're looking for even gradual change even you know incremental steps towards our our goal of having everyone i mean listen i, I don't want to shut fishing down i mean if it's there hasn't been enough research on many of these fish and that's another thing right. that we really push for it's like can we get grants so we can do some telemetry studies on blue suckers or something you know or, or whatever it might be uh in minnesota you know and similarly throughout the nation it's like we need more research and you know that i mean there's just not research on these other fish the agencies would love to have the funds to do it, but they have to stock a bunch of walleyes. So they're busy, you know? Um, so we, we're really advocating for uh, the, um, that more information and data and science on these fish. Yeah. And then let's make some regulations that follow that science, um, whatever that means, you know? Uh, you know, I think that pretty much sums up what Native Fisher Tomorrow is doing. I mean, we're, we're doing outreach, we're doing community work. Uh, you know, we have a lot of stuff planned for this summer. But but really, we're involved with these bills right now and trying to trying to back them. Um, You know, we have plans to do educational things like uh, signage at at rivers in various spots, saying, "Hey, here's some here's some cool native fish that live in these waters." You know, and and just educating that way. Um, We've heard that that's a pretty effective way to spread the word at at the at the boat launches and stuff. You know, like people look at those signs. So, um, a lot of times, people again have these preconceptions because they just don't know, and and if they're told that you know these all aren't all of these different looking fish. There's there's six fish here. You, you don't they're not all carp. And none of them are carp in fact. And all right. of them are <laughs>
0: yeah. most people know they
1: think it's kind of cool, you know. So um it, you know we're trying to do some different things like that as well. But it's it's a lot of we really want to impact change on the way that, that they're regulated. And yeah. um it's it, it's a good place to start in Minnesota because Corey and I have worked very hard over the years, and it's you know, to 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 advocate for those fish here. But we're spreading the word, and we feel like Minnesota, whatever we we get done in Minnesota, is going to be a blueprint for other exactly. states.
0: Exactly. Yeah, I I think that that's undeniable. It's I, I think if you start locally on on your home turf, you know, when there's I feel like ultimately or inevitably, when the successes start coming from, the ripple effects going to happen. Um, You know, because these type of agencies that are especially involved in conservation, they, they're going to want to, like, follow what's working in other places and take a, I don't know, <clears throat> a case study that has some tangible evidence that, that things have worked out well for them and then and, and mimic it. Um, It almost seems like everybody's just waiting on who's going to take the first step. It's all <laughs> very common sense stuff. Um, I- Anybody who it can be people who have nothing to do with fishing can sit and look at images you know those horrible images we've all seen of you know piles of dead fish and things like that um and respond with outrage but i feel like that is where y'all have excelled because you've definitely chosen the right approach and the right voices um to to speak on behalf of this because what you don't want to do and when i see a lot of people do is almost take up arms and like want to wage war on like the other side. And I'm glad that you mentioned bow fishing and, and the commercial guys more reasonably because I watch a lot of people just on Facebook or just, you know, I, anytime I see those images, I go straight to the comments. I'm like, what what's this going to look like? And it's, uh, you know, and I, and I get upset about those things too, but it's just, it's simply not an effective method to say, we're going to get you shut down. We're going to make this illegal. It's not, it's first of all, it's extremely unlikely. It's almost impossible. And it's just, just, uh, it's not the way to gain buy-in, especially mm-hmm. if you're trying to meet the opposite side, which a lot of times when you talk to these folks, you're not as different as they think, but um, mm-hmm. you alls approach has been awesome. I want to give a special shout out to like Tyler Winter, Who's really been in the mix. I like his approach because he seems like he, he comes at this like, I don't know, very practically. He can speak the scientific language. He he can speak a very practical way. And then he's also jumped into some of the, the entertainment side of it, um, with like the meat eater stuff that he's done. And you gotta be able to do all of that. Cause some folks, if you start speaking too much science, they just it, yeah. it goes over the head. Some folks, if you show them a giant fish and that you show them how fun it is to catch it, maybe that's You know, and that's the easy way. I mean, that's the very least that any of us can do is to at least show how fun the fish can be. But at the same time, you got to be able to have those different gears. But the one gear that's not going to work is trying to shut the other side down. It's just I don't know. I I imagine the folks that are there and mediating between two opposing groups and they're just listening to Mm -hmm. two people crazy yelling at each other they're just at the, they're going to say, "You know what? next, bring us the next bill. This is two groups of idiots. Get, let's get this out of here. Um but I think the way that y'all presented it so far from what I've watched, I tried to watch some of the hearings and stuff. And I'm all the way in Florida listening, but I'm like, this is this is awesome that it's it's actually moved to at, at least this far. But um, but yeah, i had to I had to mention that. I get in those debates sometimes with some of my good cool. friends in this group where it's like, it's the boat. It's always, it always comes back to like the bow fishing thing. And it's, um, I don't know. It's just, it's, it's, when I started hearing people say we're going to get this made illegal, I like, think it, it'll never happen. It, you yeah. can get regulations put in place, some common sense approaches. Sure. But outright banning and outlawing. I just, I don't know if I like that mentality. When you start yeah. banning things, it only goes somewhere South. <laughs> um, yeah.
1: I and I wouldn't want that David. I I'm not right. looking ever to advocate for banning bowfishing. It's it should be done with a little more reasonable um you know expectations for the harvest and maybe how it's used I think but there's you know it's it's there's a ton of really responsible and great ethical bowfishers out there and I've heard from a lot of them and, and bowfishing guides that are thinking it's a good idea to start thinking about a little bit tighter regulations on these fish um and we don't want anybody's tradition to go away yeah it's, it's it's an important part of the culture
0: well sometimes i think the easiest thing too is to pitch to the i don't want to say the other side even but like the people that are more accustomed to like game fish like the die hard uh bass guys i guess that's always the easy case yeah. in point how how will protecting gar benefit them i mean do you all ever come at it from that side i mean Let's say you're to approach these groups of guys that are, I don't know, maybe they got the wrong idea. And they're like, I don't give a damn what happens to all those 200 gar getting speared. What does, that, what does that have to do with my bass over here? I mean, how do you approach that side of the argument? I mean, what, what's y'all's approach to like letting these folks know how th- what you're doing is going to benefit? You know, how protecting non-game species or rough fish actually mm-hmm. benefits the greater ecosystem as a whole that, that, you know, benefits the more popular fish.
1: Yeah, it's tough one. It depends on, you know, kind of the the attitude and and the the kind of preconceptions that the person might have that you run into. I mean, there's a, it reminds me of kind of the old, there was an old thought in, you know, fisheries management back in the day, way back in the day where, you know, people thought, well, a pound of fish is a pound of fish. So if we take out, you know, 100,000 pounds of gar, we can put 100,000 more pounds of bass in there and we'll just have a lake full of nothing but bass, right? Well, it proved to be a very bad tactic of fish management and it's, you know, not something that works. It just doesn't work that way. Nature doesn't work that way. It's not just like a trout pond or something where you're feeding all of these artificial fish and they can just, you know, eat dog food and survive. They're <laughs> an, it's an interconnected food web. And you know, fisheries management figured that out pretty quickly. But that thought still kind of stuck with anglers over the years, like, oh, well, I'm a bass fisherman. I don't, you know, I wish this lake was full of bass and didn't have any carp or any, yeah. any gone. It's just not the case. It's all interconnected. And and you can talk about the, you know, when you talk about predators like Gar and and their importance. I mean, you can talk about how they it's been a known thing. There's been studies, at least up in the Midwest, that bullfin really cut down on sunfish stunting because, you know, they eat tons of them. And, you know, they also help the golden shiner population because they have a symbiotic nesting relationship. So by having bigger shiners, you know, you're going to get bigger bluegills and, and things like that. Um, and just the overall kind of, you know, the, that apex predator part of it with bothfin and gar is, is, is something that is really important. You know, when you miss that, if you take that out of, the equation, you know, it's bad things are going to happen for the rest of the fish in that lake. They're just unchecked, you know. um And, you know, other sort of ways to not argue, but sort of answer to those questions, it's really what floats your boat, you know? I mean, I'm not giving you guff for fishing bass. <laughs> right. Or other, yeah. <laughs> or other fish that'll smack any shiny metal object, you know, just because I'm a sucker fisherman and, you know, you shouldn't do the same to me. Why would you mess with me? It, it doesn't affect you. And why would you? you know, intentionally like destroy these fish for no reason when it's something that's, there's a, you know, not just me, but a lot of people think they're cool and fun to catch. So, I mean, that's always an argument too. If, if you run into someone on the bank and what is it to you, you know, really uh, it's too bad. You're, you're a little too close minded to think about it, I guess.
0: But, yeah. I don't know. It's one of those things that I get caught up on wondering about like where all of some of these, preconceived notions began. Because when you talk about, I don't know, sporting qualities. And like you mentioned earlier, yeah. a lot of these fish are actually the ones that get the biggest, mm-hmm. arguably fight the hardest, yeah. have the most sporting qualities. I mean you think of something like I, I mean I keep going back to like the gar thing. I mean yeah. the most obvious one's something like an alligator gar, which gets to preposterous sizes. But even a long-nose guard, that can get over four feet long. They'll tail walk. They're they're a hard fish to hook. So there's a yeah. challenge element. It's a, it's a an active predator that you can catch with lures. But there's like a layer of more difficulty in the getting mm-hmm. the hook through there. It, but it's like you know you almost wonder how certain fish, I don't know, got left out of the conversation mm-hmm. or where those things came from. Do you think yeah. it went? Do you think that it was? The idea that certain fish weren't palatable and couldn't be eaten or, you, know, you I, know, I don't know. I always wonder where that
1: started. It's it's interesting that we've done a ton of research on that. You know, obviously we're, we're rough fish. So, you know, it, it kind of relates to when, you know, America was settled, you know, in its first formative years. And there was such a thing as coarse fish over in, you know, across the pond. Coarse fish were things that basically weren't trout or salmon. And, you know, it, it sort of translates to rough fish here, but it's also been said that when they shipped fish commercially around uh, in the Mississippi River area, especially like they had fish that were fully cleaned and dressed, would go going a barrel and then fish that were just not gutted or anything or dressed would go into another barrel and they would label that barrel rough because it meant it wasn't fully mm. dressed. Um, so those are just a couple of theories, but nobody really knows, you know, it's yeah just all we know is it's sort of a negative connotation, you know? So um, I think it's unfair, but it's a, it's a word that I've come to, to love. uh, Even though I don't, even though I really want to get rid of that term in in the verge of our, it's like, it's still a, it's obviously been a part of my life. So,
0: Right. Yeah. That's kind of the funny thing is like, for me, it was, it was a good alternative to the term trash fish. It's like, well, that's a win. That's, that sounds a little more politically correct, but then it's like, you almost want it to go even further and I guess in an ideal world, there wouldn't even be categories, but you know, maybe that's not necessarily realistic. You you want to break things down to a degree, but you know, not to the point that it sounds like to, to say that, you know, one group is called sport fish automatically assumes that everything else not called sport fish isn't worthy of a, mm-hmm. you know, a sporty approach, but It's a good point, though, when you talk about, I don't know, the colonization of the country. They probably weren't worried about how hard a fish fights. That's probably an inconvenience when you're trying to survive and catch something to eat. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, it's a good point. But anyway, we'll jump into some other things. I know you were recently, you know, I was looking at your page. It looks like you're recently in the Carolinas, my old stomping grounds. What, What were you doing out there? A an NANFA convention?
1: Uh, yeah. North American Native Fishes Association had a convention down there. And um, it, it's been a good time when I've gone before. And it was really an excuse in the middle of March when we have three feet of snow here in Minnesota. It was like, okay. oh, yeah. <laughs> Convention's a good, you know, uh, a good excuse to go down and get some warm weather. But, yeah, we uh, it was a great time. And uh, got to do a little talk, a little presentation there about Native Fish for Tomorrow to the group. And that was awesome. I mean, they they've met us before on a rough fish kind of basis and and stuff, but kind of letting them know that hey, we're anglers, we're trying to make a difference where it count I mean at the you know grassroots level, at the angler level and, and how we regulate these fish, everyone was so super supportive um and you know sometimes it's like preaching to the choir like like your audience is generally you know more accepting of the idea of fishing for these other fish yeah you you may say it's preaching to the choir but sometimes the choir needs to sing a little louder so you got to poke them you know and it's uh it's you know the native fish community is fantastic and each each group has their role to play i mean we talk about Uh, native fish coalition and backcountry hunters and anglers and you talk about NANFA and and native fish for tomorrow and rough fish it's like we all kind of come at this from a different angle Mm -hmm. and what's important to us and what we think we want to you know uh strive for so um yeah it it's it was great it the fishing was kind of tough down there in the Carolinas man and I hadn't been down there before it's kind of a cold snap I heard so that might have influenced things but you know we did we did have a couple of spots that when the sun was shining uh we really got into some suckers that were staging to spawn so like for me to see a new species of red horse was just like a freaking yeah. it, it was awesome man it was christmas day you know we we <laughs> we cut the uh the uh bronze and the slender red horse which were fantastic and then Of course, the Brassy Jump Rock, which I've always wanted to hear or see a a jump rock. They have the coolest name in the world. Yeah. (laughs) And they're basically like, you know, the Red Horse's weird cousin too. So uh, awesome to catch those in a couple of different environments. And then we did have a chance to uh, do some night fishing and start a bonfire and cut flat and snail bullheads on a little river uh, with with cheap hot dogs. So that was a blast too. Um, But, you know, we fished around and tried a lot of spots in South Carolina right around Columbia on the Broad River. And it was just Mm -hmm. not happening, man. It was not happening.
0: So, I lived in Columbia for several years, and I always found that area to be kind of tough fishing. I I don't know why. I mean, I I like certain parts of the Saluda River. um, The Broad River was not... The Broad River looked like it would have a ton of fish. And I I always struggled. It's funny you mentioned, though, the Brassy Jump Rock. I I remember when I was living in Columbia, and that's when I met uh, another old-school uh roughfish.com guy uh josh is it lyson oh
1: yeah josh
0: leeson leeson i can I, maybe i can't remember how to pre- sorry josh if you happen to be was, listening to this. Both in yeah yeah, yeah. so we both we both were like started on the both in anglers group website and yeah. then i jumped over to roughfish and saw that he was there he might have actually been the reason that i went there and then years later we met up when we were both living in columbia Hmm. and I remember I'd been living in South born in South Carolina lived most of my life in South Carolina most of my fishing like development as an angler was in that state and I was like I had not heard anything about any kind of sucker fishing in this state and then he shows yeah. up and immediately kind of makes waves catching one of those brassy jump rock fish cool. I it, what looked like it might have been the same spot that y'all were at yeah. um and then I am and then I went straight there trying to catch him I could I never pulled it off. I'm not skilled enough as a as a sucker guy. That's a whole other type of fishing that I just, I don't know, man. I, I think a lot of people underestimate how difficult that kind of fishing can be. Um, I don't know of another fish in fresh water that's driven me more crazy than different <laughs> kinds of suckers. Um, I remember, I remember up in the Ozarks when I was living in Northwest Arkansas, there's so many rivers up there and I could be small mouth fishing and see like these massive schools of, I don't even know what kind of suckers they were. Some red horse, something huge, yeah. like giant ones. Yeah. I mean, there could be 200 of them. I I was, I drift a worm right through them. Nothing, no bites. I'm like, what in the hell? This is a whole different <laughs> like beast here, but yeah, I don't know. I, I get so jealous of y'all's sucker fishing scene up there, especially what is the real big one? Is it the greater red horse? What's well, the real, the big, not the buffalo, but like yeah. the biggest red horse looking sucker?
1: Yeah, up up here in the Midwest, it's greater red horse or river red horse. River They're red horse, maybe that same, one. But, you know, the uh, the rivers are generally a little more torpedo and long shaped. The, the mm-hmm. graders do have more of like a bull head and a big fan dorsal fin and yeah, they're awesome, man. My my favorite fish. They're they're tied. They're tied right now yeah. for my favorite cheeses, <laughs> and rivers. So, but hey, any any you make it up to Minnesota, man, we'll we'll hook you up. But you know, it's funny you mentioned. And to be fair, sucker, the sucker family are my favorite fish in general. I I, I love chasing suckers, and probably might I hope to think a little bit better than others at it because uh, I've spent a lot of years figuring stuff out. But I've heard and it proved to me also when I went to the Carolinas that suckers down south can be a little more finicky, not as easy to catch. Hmm. And I don't know why that would be. Um, and I haven't really thought about it that much. But I mean, it's just they seem to be like you're talking about drifting over, you know, dozens of 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 large, you know, suckers and and not being able to get bit. It's like it seems a little more common down south than it is up north. Um, yeah. But again, it depends on the situation. Who knows what conditions might be and there's certainly times up here depending on the sucker type as well um sometimes they just shut down and won't bite what do you do only the red horse know why but (laughs) they just do
0: (laughs) i don't know what so so and i guess that was one of my questions i was going to kind of wonder like for a guy that's so interested in so many different kinds of fish i feel like everybody has like that one that's most near and dear to their heart or maybe for you it's more of a group of fish but uh i don't know like what what do you you know, what is it about the fish, or like what is the intangible that an angler needs to be good with that kind of fishing? Like what what is the layer of challenge that they offer that other fish don't?
1: Yeah, it's weird. It's a great question. People have asked me that before. Like, you know, why red horse why, you know, I mean, and, and
0: I, I'm not, not asking that in a condescending way at all, but it's like no, I'm goodness. always interested in like why people's Mm-hmm. have a certain affinity to certain fish because I know I have mine when there's obviously much bigger and more elaborate, and more beautiful and more pretty fish out there. Mm-hmm. But it's like we all have our fish.
1: We do. And I mean, mine changes by the seasons, man. I, I, I tend to chase <laughs> different. My favorite fish is whatever's, whatever's going to be biting the best at this time of year, man. Ask me in July and it's going to be long nose gar, you know, but yeah, <laughs> it, it, it really overall, the red horse species just have always called to me and it's really my upbringing, I I spent a lot of time, a lot of time as a very young person, like, you know, three to 10 years old, uh, camping on the St. Croix river in Minnesota on the border with Wisconsin. And it's just a the mystery involved with, with those rivers like that. And these fish, especially the big red horses, like the river red horse that, you know, it's just, they're there. And until you target them, maybe you see them but not until you actually angle for them and get one in your hands that you really, you're like, wow, this thing is just living out there. And, you know, what's going to come next? And, and sort of that river fishing mentality of you might catch a drum, you might catch a moon eye, you might catch a catfish. Yeah. It might be, uh, you know, a red horse. And, and that type of fishing has always really uh, appealed to me. Um, just the mystery bag and, and the fact that, you know, you can catch multiple fish from a from a location if you figure them out. Now, there's also something to be said for pinpointing a specific fish and and maybe sight fishing to red horse and, you know, really getting very specific to, um, you know, I'm like, I'm targeting nothing but silver red horse today because it's, you know, they're up here by the spawning shoals and they can sight fish for them and it's super fun. Mm -hmm. But red horse, man, they're just shiny. They're pristine fish. They live in clean water. They are built to live in the current. um, They're very streamlined like salmon or trout, you know. Um, and their their runs their spawning runs are just something to behold up here in the midwest when when the river fills up you know with with the silver salmon up here we call them uh they uh it's it's so impressive that this is just part of nature it's something that we can all kind of witness and be a part of and for now thankfully most of these species are plentiful so we can enjoy them you know and let's keep it that way
0: and now, what qualm would somebody have with the sucker? I'm assuming, like, oh, you know, you put two and two together. Or people assume things like, a, a, you know, it's got a downward facing sucker mouth. So they must be eating all the eggs of the other fish. Like, is that, yeah. is that yeah. kind of where people's mind? We don't have any suckers down here that I know of in Florida. I might be wrong. Oh, this yeah, far, you, this you far, can. this black far south, I don't know.
1: Yeah, probably not too far south. But I think up in the Chipola and stuff, you got black, yeah. tail red holes blacktail red horse for sure maybe gray red horse
0: oh, but, that's interesting
1: um, yeah there's a few It'd be really cool to see those um you know that yeah they're I guess the whole bottom feeder kind of thing you know but right yeah <laughs> you, you know you, you look at trout at the same time I mean the, what are the trout eating the same rivers the red we, we catch trout that are just gorging up red horse eggs it's like they're bottom feeding too right and they're eating fish um and you know that's the bad connotation with suckers, I guess, and the confusion some people have thinking they're all carp, you know, and that's unfortunate.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I can see that. I, especially when you talk about the suckers, like, like the Buffalo particularly. Absolutely. Um, but you know, that's one of those real fascinating cases, the Buffalo, especially I didn't, I, I think roughish.com is where I learned that those even existed. Um, and then I knew ahead of time for whenever I actually encountered one for the first time, um, but that's another one of those interesting ones where here you're talking about a fish that can get 60, 70, 80 pounds yeah. native to this country, but hell, a lot of people don't even know they exist. Don't yeah. even know that they're out there. Yeah. Um, just yeah. a weird thing. I mean, and again, that one's kind of a growing scene to a point, but, mm-hmm. um, I don't know. I feel like in America, we're not really tailored to sit and wait. It's almost frowned upon. In a weird way. I get hell from people all the time. Like, oh, you use bait, not lures. I'm like, you take a diehard lure fisherman and 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 that'll be the first guy that starts cursing and screaming and going crazy when the fish comes off or something doesn't go to plan. There's no mm-hmm. patience.
1: Yeah. So yeah. I try, yeah, to, yeah,
0: yeah. I try yeah. to tell those guys, if you want to like really forge your patience or build your, I don't know, fortitude when things aren't going well. Sit sit and stare at a stationary line for hours and hours and hours and hours and and just have nothing but hope going for you. It's not as easy, not as easy as it sounds. It like the
1: Yeah. No, you're totally right. Yeah. When you're active and you're moving and you're, you know, making casts and you're covering water, it's easy to not catch anything.
0: And and when you're doing that, you're anticipating a bite the entire time. Mm -hmm. Whereas bait fishing is like the bite always comes at the most inopportune time. It seems, it <laughs> so. like yeah. Um
1: shoot, you just mentioned something that resonated with me and I forget how. Maybe <laughs> maybe it'll come to me.
0: Oh, uh, that's okay. Um uh, oh jeez. That threw me off now. But um uh, <laughs> well I, I think I know where you know I'm always curious too is you've obviously got a near and dear spot to your heart for the waters that you live on but as a multi-species enthusiast or a guy that's interested in other types of fish like mm-hmm. what are the ones you kind of have your sights set on i don't know if i want to use the term bucket list mm-hmm. but if mm-hmm. there's a, a short list of fish within reach that you really want to get maybe let's say five yeah that are like oh. species that you really want to go it could be something that's right down the road from you that you've just not been able to master. It could uh-huh. be a fish that lives on the other side of the country, but like, sure. what are the ones for you? Where does your interest lie?
1: Yeah, man. Great question. I mean, I start that off with, I, I've never been much of a real big life lister. you know, it's like, I, I like to learn. I'd rather learn more about my direct kind of area and, and, and stuff and advocate for the fish around here than, than globetrot for things. Um, mm-hmm. But that being said, I do have some fish that are very high on my bucket list. Um, You know, number one has to be the blue sucker. I've never caught a blue sucker. They've always been this unicorn in Midwest and through roughfish.com's entire history, it's been a big freaking deal when somebody caught a blue sucker and catches one legitimately, you know, and more and more people try it. And the more we learn as a, you know, sort of a hide mentality about, to to get to your point about people being willing to share at least tactics in general you know, general timing information and things like that, you know, people have nailed it down a little further. So I'm I'm really looking forward to catching my first blue sucker and I plan to catch it. They busted a dam out on the Minnesota river here in, in mm. Western Minnesota and uh out by the town of Granite Falls. And, you know, that's a, that's a river that the blue suckers historically ran up before. And, and now that that dam is gone, that the impediment to them migrating, you know, it was super cool. I think it was two years ago, the year after the dam was busted out you know one of the roughish guys caught a blue sucker up above the dam and and they're spawning up there you know and they witnessed them so i'd really like to catch one in that river just as a testament to dam removal and and, in the positive impact that can have um you know number two i've always been it's funny i'm a roughish guy but for many years in my entire life i have had a respect for salmonids um so you know i grew up with with the dad who really loved you know the trout streams and stuff and and my brother grew up that way worm fishing fly fishing you know, spinner fishing, whatever, you know. And um, so I have gone places occasionally to target salmonids. So, you know, we went down to Arizona a couple of years ago and got Gila trout and Apache trout. Uh, you know, we've been to Alaska a few times, knocking those out. But there, there's really one species in the in the continental United States that I need, um, and that's a bull trout. So looking for a bull trout one of these days. Uh, we had a trip planned this year for him, but it fell through. Um, it's one of those things that, you know, I don't want to do it cheap either. We're going to go probably hike 20 or 20 miles or so back into the backcountry and maybe call some pack rafts back there and spend a week doing it you know and that that's a big one for me um i'm sitting at 20 salmonids right now and i'd like to make that 21 um (laughs) i've (laughs) uh one thing i've i've neglected to go after around here is gold eye i've never caught a gold eye and and they live in the red river in minnesota um so just need to make a dedicated trip for them uh and along those same lines is the northern sunfish, uh, which is a cool, sort of a relative to the long sunfish that lives way up north here. Um, they're super pretty, they don't get very big, but they also, um, you know, they live in a handful of places up north. So that's, that's another one, um, that's four. Let me think really hard about my last species. Um, gosh. Uh...
0: That's always hard to do.
1: <laughs> I only have one left. Yeah. I mean, alligator gar is high on my list. I, it really is. Oh yeah. Yeah. I do, yeah. do want to go wrangle with an alligator gar sometime. Uh, I don't know if I'm prepared yet, but one of these, one of these years, and again, I, DIY trip, you know, that's the only way to go on my book. I, 100%, a hundred
0: percent. Yeah.
1: I'm not a dude that's going to go hire guides to do things for me. So like it, it would take some preparation Thankfully, right. I have some friends, you included, I would reach out to you for some advice, you know, but I know others that have done it. And, you know, it's, it's an accomplishment for sure, especially for you know, a Minnesota guy to, to go down there and be out of their helmet, baking on the mud down there and <laughs> have some success. So
0: Yeah. Well, that's one of those ones just as an American angler. It's like you got to take pride in like your heavyweight champions. Yeah. I've yeah. always looked at it like that. But it's funny. I, I share the same sentiment where it's like I very much am into like traveling to go catch these, I guess you'd call it a bucket list fish, mm-hmm. but I, I almost feel like I'm chasing like a, like a very specific experience over the fish yeah, because I'm, I I'm, and I have all the respect in the world. Like I never like to like frame my explanation for this in a way that like craps on guides because I, I admire people who make their living doing that stuff mm-hmm. by all means. People need to support their local guides people that are trying to make a living but in the same way i've got certain fish that i feel like i could so easily just go catch if i just dished out the money and had somebody lead me to the fish but i just i i'm afraid that i'll come away from that experience like unfulfilled so it's (laughs) like you really want to like do the research and like go at a very real risk of failure and like have to like work hard to do it now I am not above and in fact I really have gotten to a point now where I, I like actually like the networking process with other real fishermen because I'm I'm fortunate and a lot of it is through roughfish.com a lot of it is through these similar types of groups where you just I don't know you meet cool people that you know maybe you'd be willing to go check out their home waters with them is that a guide I don't know not really it's not the same thing no but, um, you know, I, I just came back from chasing the white sturgeon out in Idaho, and it was sort of the same thing. It's like, at first, I was like, ah, I want to go to the Fraser River, and I want to go down to those big mountain gorges. But I'm like, man, yeah. the only way to do that is, like, you're going to have to get on one of those big jet boats yeah. with some guide service. And I was like, I don't know if that's really the way I want to do it. So it was a, it was a really awesome trip. We were, like, hiking down these canyons, like, fishing from the bank. With this guy who's like, you know, he's a metal fabricator and an engineer at a local manufacturer who just happens to be really passionate and skilled at catching these sturgeon. And, uh, and we hit a home run, but on the other side of that too, is it's funny. You mentioned bull trout. Apparently like where we were at was like bull trout, like village or something like everybody's talking about bull trout down there. Big, big bull trout area. I was like, I don't even know if I'd ever even heard of a bull trout until I was down there in Idaho fishing. You know, we were we were at local tackle shops and stuff. And mm-hmm. and, and then I they'd see me like, you know, that I'm from Florida, like, oh, what are you fishing for? Trout? I'm like, nope. Okay, <laughs> bull trout? It. Nope. But um it. I'm the same way. It's like, I don't know. I, I get it to a point where you're doing something that flat out, you're not going to be able to do it without a guide. Like if you're going to go overseas and things like that. But, uh, you know, another one that's hemmed me up is musky. I've never, I've never caught a musky. I, I was like, I know I, I need to catch one. I like feel like for my style and what like speaks to me as an angler. I love big toothy predators. I like, I have to have a musky, but it needs to be like, I don't know why I put those stipulations on me. Yeah. But um I got this guy that I'm that I'm buddies with that lives in Quebec. I didn't even think he barely speaks any English. But he um he fishes out of like an inflatable dinghy and he just catches huge ones all the time. So that might that might be my twenty twenty four trip. But it's like That's I don't know so why. <laughs> but um but I'm right there with you when it comes to that. I don't know, man. I, I think you, you have to inject a, a certain amount. There has to be a risk of failure. Even mm-hmm. though that sucks. Yes. <laughs> when you go all that way and then it doesn't happen for you. But yeah.
1: And I don't know. That, yeah, I echo your sentiments that I, I know a lot of fishing guides, you know, and they're great and I more respect to them than anything. And a certain you know, a lot of people they their time is 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 valuable to the point where they want to be successful when they go out and they're willing to pay for it. More power to them, you know. That's a great way to to get out there and, and enjoy the stuff, enjoy the yeah. hell out of it, you know. But you know, to me, you only catch your first of a species once and I'd like it to be memorable. And to me, that means figuring it out myself. Um yep. but more power to guides and I've kind of always thought that I would rather be a fishing guide and out on the water every day. So instead of stuck in the office, you know, so more power to them.
0: Yeah. I I thought of it too. And then I kind of realized the reality of like, Oh man, if all my like finances to support my family hinged upon whether or not I could put people on fish, that might, I don't know. I just, I admire the guys that are able to, and a lot of them have simply mastered their areas. Um, it's, it's, it goes so far beyond just being good at catching fish. Um, That those guys. So I admire them. Same thing. But, you know, my buddies that live out there, if I'm going to be guided, you know, more so just by a guy that I know out there, it's like, you know, when you don't have anything to gain from taking somebody other than to show them a good time, you're almost more enthusiastic about it because I have people that have come out here many times to Florida, had a couple of the rough fish guys, come out to texas I, I, and matter of fact they came to the red river with me um and we were not able to catch an alligator guard i felt terrible about, about it i said like, damn i, yeah, I you
1: know what Though i talked to recently actually talked to it was eric you know about that trip and you know he just had the time of his life down there and that's the yeah. thing you get it was a great experience even though you didn't reach the mark of catching that species it's memorable and he's itching to get back you know so yeah
0: we got a bunch of buffalo. I mean, that was still kind of fun, but you know, you always want to be like, you take it a lot more. I don't know. I, I love when guys come down and I'm able to show them my area and show them what I like to do. So, but yeah. anyway, that's, it's fun. It's all part of spreading the, uh, I don't know, the enjoyment for different kinds of fish. And it's like, you know, it. Who knows? I don't know, man. It's like when you have the, the knowledge and like you have the ability to affect positive change and you like consciously decide not to wade into that, not to share it. I just don't understand that. So I try to do yeah. little things here and there, but I feel yeah. like y'all have taken it such a, a bigger scale. It's awesome what you're doing. Um, I'm hoping to see more states get on board with it. Florida, Florida's okay though. It's kind of a weird place down here. I don't know. It's, it's interesting. You don't, see people hating different kinds of fish down here as much probably because the environment's too far gone with all these iguanas and pythons and yeah knife fish knife fish it's like they're they're all embraced down at least the people that i've come across every new fish i've never seen somebody want to kill a bowfin even the florida guard that are everywhere nobody's cool from that mentality which is is nice to see and maybe i'm just missing them i'm sure they're out there but they're few and far between but
1: mm-hmm. that's good to hear yeah
0: but anyway man um i know we're kind of coming up on, on on my time limitation sure. uh, got kids to feed and homework to do <laughs> but um huh. but seriously I, I want people who are listening that are interested in some of the stuff that you're doing to know where to go to um and i know we've mentioned roughfish.com and some of the other websites and pages, but you know, I want to give you the opportunity to to name like where people can go, like what what are the websites that they can visit for information resources if they have questions about some of these other fish. During the course of this conversation, we've mentioned suckers and carp and gar and and, and everything else. And you know, for all yeah. I know, somebody may be listening, like, oh hell, I got a bunch of those in this creek down the road from my house, and I have no idea how to catch them. Yeah. Where can they go to maybe seek that information? Facebook pages websites, whatever.
1: Yeah, man. Um, you know, a good start if you are on the Facebook machine is, you know, the rough fish Facebook group, it's just called rough fish, uh, lots of super, uh, informational posts there and people ask questions and there's really knowledgeable people that are ready to answer, you know, it's a great community. And that's sort of an extension of our Roughfish.com website, where if you're looking for more specific, you know, you're like, uh, I want to learn about the geographical range of a redfin pickerel or something and what is their life history like or you know uh reffish.com has a lot of good stuff about that. Um now our new kind of effort Native Fish for Tomorrow, we have uh, nativefishfortomorrow.org, which is a website on the homepage, we we generally try to keep current on some of the things with the legislation going on, the no junkfish bill, for example, and and where we're getting involved there. Um, so we we have some some news updates there and stuff and you know I'd ask if if, you, if you're interested in our cause we we talked about it a little bit and you know we're trying to impact change when it comes to both public perception and the the angling regulations uh, for all of these other fish um, and uh, it, things beyond sport fish and game fish you know uh, our beloved quote unquote rough fish and you know it mean a lot to to get a donation there you can donate on, on nativefishfortomorrow.org. dot org. Every single penny goes to, you know, we're, we're trying to make signs for, for accesses about information or we're, we're trying to, you know, put a little money aside here and there for, you know, contributing some DNR grants to, uh, to get some research done um, on some things. And, you know, none of it goes in our pocket. So, uh, and then, you know, if you want to follow my exploits, I guess, I don't update Instagram too much these days, but I plan on doing more once the, once it, it thaws out outside here. Um, but I'm rough fish underscore drew. Um, you can follow me there. And, and really that's about it. You know, if you have specific questions, you can reach out to me, but the Roughfish community as a whole, especially, especially the Facebook group, you know, we, we have a bunch of moderators now that are really good, um, at, at, at answering your questions or, you know, um, let me know what information that they have about stuff. And if, People come there with questions every day, you know, it's a, it's a growing community and it's really positive and we try to keep it spam free as possible and stuff like that. So, yeah, I'd really advocate towards people joining the roughish community and, and just sharing your cool stuff there and, and bouncing ideas off of each other, you know. Well,
0: oh, a thousand percent. I can't encourage people more. And I do this at the end of like almost every one of these episodes to try to push people towards. Um, the sites that the person that I'm talking to is involved with, but this more than anything else, I mean, I've been involved with some form of the roughish groups that y'all have been involved with. or started for man, since, since I was asking my mom to take me to the local Creek cause I couldn't drive yet. Um, and, and I've never stopped. It has always been the best resource that I could find anywhere for information on fish, people that are willing to share real information, not just generic things. You know, you maybe get a little bit of both, but, um, and very fast turnarounds. I can't think of another place anywhere on the internet where you can post a photo, even a, even a poor quality photo of a fish that you can't identify it guaranteed one of the guys is going to be able to tell you what kind of fish that you caught. A hundred percent. And it's going to come fast. So uh nativefish for tomorrow.org, roughfish.com, the roughfish Facebook page. Now that's one that anybody can join, right? You don't have to like, you know, yeah, yeah, sign no, up yeah, for anything, anybody, nothing. Anybody.
1: Yeah. Anybody.
0: Yeah. So, so, so absolutely. If you're somebody that just wants to share what you know even better but um absolutely if you have any interest in those other fish that live in your local waters that you don't know how to catch trust me it's worth trying and those are the pages where you're going to get the information that you want but drew man been a long time coming i feel bad that it's taken this long to actually talk to you normal instead of through text but um i really really appreciate you coming on here man
1: great to talk to you david take care man uh I'd love to talk to you again sometime. I think uh, we could talk for hours probably here.
0: So. <laughs> oh yeah. We'll we'll be in touch uh, 100%. I'm not going anywhere. You're not going anywhere. But uh, yeah, we'll do this again sometime.
1: Sounds great. Have a good one, David.
0: All right, man. Thank you for listening to the Boundless Pursuit Podcast. If you enjoyed this show, your feedback, comments, and reviews are very important to me. Also, this podcast is just one element to a much bigger content outlet. I urge you to head over to www.havrodswilltravel.com, where you'll find audio, visual, and written editorial content. That is three dimensions of awesome fishing content brought to you by a very dynamic team of anglers. I hope that you'll tune in next week as we continue to build this program and have interesting and skilled anglers each Thursday. Thank you for listening.